going into a meeting and being open-minded and taking those suggestions or at least listening to what other people have to say, taking what you need, leaving the rest, it, I mean, that that's imperative. Welcome to the Recovery Edgecast. My name is Alfredo and I'm an alcoholic. And today I am sitting here with Heather. Heather, how's it going? Good, Alfredo. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. good. Are you nervous? A little bit. <laughs> <laughs> so let me see. I think I met you. Well, you go to all the meetings I go to. So yeah, here in Frederick, Colorado. Mm-hmm. So. so I probably met you at Thirst Quenchers for the first time, I bet. Yeah, I, I came into AA after treatment, um, which would have been like October 12th of this year. Yeah. I, I will hit 90 days actually in two days, but who's counting, right? Whoa, congratulations. <laughs> Thanks. So you'll have 90 days by the time this goes up. Uh, so sobriety date mm-hmm. is September 17th of this year. Um, I actually went into detox and then followed up with treatment um, in Florida. So, and then came back home and got right to a meeting as was suggested. Where's your home group? Um, so I go to, um, all the meetings in Frederick and then I also attend, uh, Sober Solutions in Longmont, Colorado. Um, I really try to do, uh, a meeting at least six days a week. I typically take Saturday off, but other than that, I'm, I'm in a meeting pretty religiously every yeah. evening. And you work from home, huh? I work One from of the home. Lucky ones. <laughs> <laughs> well, lucky, unlucky, depends on how you look at it. But yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, saving a lot of gas money and wear and tear on the car. So. Yeah, you go to a lot of meetings. You're uh, you're jumping right in. I like it. So. Um, right, um, and then. How about like hobbies and stuff? Like, what are you into? Um, hobbies, you know, obviously you seem like my zoo. Um, I have four dogs, a cat, a saltwater fish tank. So they take up a lot of my time. Um, I also like to cook. I like to hike. Um, I like the Denver Broncos. Telfredo chagrin. Yeah. <laughs> That's all right. We just got, my Raiders just got whooped really bad. <laughs> so I like, I like football. Um, I like hockey. And then I have two children. Um, my son is 19. He lives in Alaska and plays hockey. And then I have a 17-year-old daughter. So, um you know, pretty busy. Otherwise work keeps me really busy as well. So cool. Yeah. Well, I think you're warmed up. Okay. You feel warmed up? Yeah. Good. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Why don't you tell us, um, you know, what got you into the rooms and I don't know, as early as you want, you know, as so you can start from your first drink, how you grew up, whatever, this is going to be like your story. Okay. Tell us what it was like, what got you here. Okay. And what you're going through today. Um, so I'll kind of go back to childhood a little bit. Um, I grew up as an only child. Um, my parents are still married. Um, they've been married 45 years. Um, but you know, I had a good childhood. I mean, I can't really say anything, um, was terrible about childhood. Um, it was pretty normal. Um, you know, went through, um, middle school, um, had my first drink probably at 14 at a party, um, but it didn't really become a problem. Um, I was also kind of a part of the party crowd um, in high school. I, I was with kind of the the popular kids, and we hung out with a lot of older um, of the older kids that were 21, and, and we partied quite a bit. We had a lot of fun, um, but I also did really well in school, so it really didn't get in the way. Um, I also worked 40 hours a week in addition to going to high school. So I've kind of always had that drive. 
um, you know, work ethic and then um, education. So, um, and then I got married pretty young. Um, I was married to my husband um, when I was 20 and had two kids pretty quickly after that at 22 and 24. And I was the typical housewife. Um, I was um, Holly homemaker. I, I didn't go out and party. I was very devoted to my house and my children. And then things fell apart in, in my marriage um, back in 2011. Um, just figured out that that wasn't what I wanted with my life. There were some problems and we got separated and eventually got divorced. And that's kind of where the drinking really start, kind of took off. Um, I started going out when I didn't have my children partying. Um, it was more of just kind of a fun um, thing to do. I, you know, I was sitting at home. I was like, I don't want to be sitting here. And being married so young, I really didn't experience like the bars or the clubs or anything like that early on. Um, I was 32 when, when my divorce was final. So I, you know, I was kind of just, I don't know, a, a caged animal after I was released from marriage and just partying a lot. But I, I still didn't think there was, there, you know, that didn't really, the problem wasn't there. Um, I think it was still fun. And I don't think it was, you know, I, I had drank and drove a few times, um, not consistently, but I definitely could have gotten a DUI back in those days. But I think the drinking really got heavy um, in, in my next relationship, in which I was uh, in a relationship with a very severe alcoholic. And kind of my theory on that was, well, if you can't beat them, join them. Right. And so I got into um, drinking with him. And that that relationship was fairly tumultuous just because you get two people drinking and that's not going to really turn out well. Hmm. Um, so then we broke up. Um, my drinking continued. Um, you know, I, I wasn't a I was a daily every other day, but it was always like five, six o'clock. And then I found myself like drinking alone, drinking at home. I didn't go to the bar anymore. I w it wasn't interacting with friends. It kind of became just like a solo enterprise um, to where I was drinking at home. And so I think that that's when, you know, I really kind of started thinking to myself, um, this, this could be a problem. Like, I don't think, you know, normal people really drink at home um, alone. And so... I was doing that, and then I got into another relationship, probably not my best idea ever, um, and the drinking continued. Um, that, that relationship turned out to be fairly abusive, and so my drinking was turned out to be kind of just like a coping mechanism, and that was kind of to numb my feelings, numb my situation, ignore the situation, and then my relationship with my kids as they got older kind of took a turn. Um, there's quite a few reasons for that. Um, but I, I just, you know, it, it took a turn and I found that I was drinking, whether I was happy, whether I was sad, whether I was angry, you know, it was just an escape. And that's when it really dawned on me. Like, you know, this, this isn't, this is more of a problem. And the, so there were no solutions. Um, I was also not an angry person. I've never been an angry person. I'm pretty level-headed and have been my entire life. Um, but I find I found myself getting black, you know, blackout drunk and getting very rageful. Um, I found that the only time I could really speak up for myself in my my relationship was when I was was pretty intoxicated, um, and I also knew that that wasn't going to turn out well. Um, whether that be, you know, maybe getting a, a domestic violence charge, maybe, um, you know, 
putting myself in a dangerous situation. Um, and so then it was like, there, this is there, you know, I got to get a handle on this. Um, so I went to treatment in February of 2020 and did pretty well when I got home, was attending meetings. At that time I lived in Thornton, Colorado, was attending meetings up there and, um, was doing pretty well. And then COVID hit and I struggled with that because now I'm working from home. The meetings are, you know, zoom. I was kind of getting used to the zoom thing. Didn't really like it. And I fell off the wagon after 73 days. Um, but I didn't feel stable at, at any point in time during that first go around. I did not, I felt like I was on quicksand. The obsession with alcohol was very much still there. I was thinking about it constantly. I was, I couldn't get that thought out of my head. And so um, I continued on the path. I, I think I went back to drinking um, in April of 2020. Tried to go to a few meetings um, after that, um, but didn't really get into the program. And then um, in talking with my therapist, um, she, you know, much later down the line, I mean, and until here we are in 2021, um, in September, you know, I was, I was very transparent with her. Like I, I need help. I, she couldn't do a lot for me while I was under the influence, um, every night. And she said, I think you need to go to detox. It's not safe for you to try and detox on your own. Um, and then it, it was kind of just like an aha moment. I mean, everyone has a rock bottom. I, I wouldn't say that I was at rock bottom. I would say more of like, I had been praying, like, help me, God, help me, God. Like, I need a solution. This is not something I can continue doing. Um, I, I was also getting pretty sick on a daily basis, um, vomiting, you know, bad stomach aches, headaches. And, I, you know, I would force myself to drink just because I wanted it to stop. Um, so then I went to detox um, again in Florida on the 17th of September. Um, had had a pretty great experience out there. Um just a lot of, a lot of different, um, I, I would call very spiritual moments. Um, and you know, when my time was up with, um, I think it was called PHP, um, partial hospitalization program. I came back home and got right on, right into meetings and, and I haven't looked back since. So hmm. here we are. Around your divorce, you were 32. How old were your kids? So my kids would have been 10 and 8. Um, did they notice your drinking? No, um, because I never drank around my children. Hmm. Um, it, and at that time, it was just going out. Mm -hmm. um, and then even to this day, um, they both know that I had gone to treatment, and they were, they were kind of surprised. They knew something was off, but they, didn't, they couldn't really put their finger on it because they... Um, you know, hadn't, I take that back a little bit. When I, when I was in the relationship, when I kind of was really starting to drink heavily, um, they were around that. So they did see me intoxicated at that time. And that, that was a big, um, factor in kind of where our relationship is today. Mm. Um, because they did see that and they knew that there was also abuse in that relationship. And, um, so they did see that, um, so yeah, I, I mean, not until later, but yeah, they, they did see that. Did anybody ever uh, say anything to you about your drinking? 
besides your, I think you said your psychiatrist. Yeah, my therapist. therapist, um, And then, you know, my ex-boyfriend too. You know, he wanted the the belligerent, rageful person to stop coming around. Mm -hmm. Um, But the relationship wasn't healthy regardless. But he did also mention, you know, mention that to me. Mm -hmm. Um, Everyone else, I I was pretty, you know, as alcoholics, we think we're really sly. And, um, but... My parents, who I'm very, very close to, if I was drinking, I just, I, I wouldn't reach out to them. I wouldn't answer the phone. I, you know, would text, but um, I wouldn't answer the phone. But I think, I mean, my mom is very intuitive and she, she knew something, but I don't think she knew the magnitude mm-hmm. of what was really going on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So how does rock bottom feel for you? Do you think that you hit that? Like what really has convinced you? to quit drinking this time? Um, in hindsight, my rock bottom was I was not in control of what I was putting in my body. I was not in control of my life as far as um, my safety. Um, I was making poor choices, and I couldn't, I couldn't turn it around um, because I was drinking over it. Mm-hmm. I didn't have the, the willpower or the strength to turn it around. And so um, that has been a huge factor in, in keeping me sober as well, in addition to the program, God, um, a support system, therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, just knowing, like, I lose my, I, I give away my power, so to speak, when I'm intoxicated. I mm-hmm. become someone that I don't like. I become someone that doesn't have, you know, her feet under her. And that, to me, is is huge. And so, yeah, I hit rock bottom just because of where my life was and what, you know, in endangering myself. And then another part of that is um, the day I decided to go to treatment, I had a text from my son and, you know, he's in Alaska and he said that he didn't want to have a relationship with me, that it, he his his words were, it's pointless to have a relationship with you. And so that, that really kind of struck a chord. And... I don't know um, at this point, I've kind of given it to God, whether we have a relationship moving forward, but it was like a light bulb went on and it was like, well, if we're not going to have a relationship, it's not going to be because of me. Um, If we're not going to have a relationship, I'm going to do everything in my power to get healthy, mentally, physically, spiritually. And if he comes around, I know that I did my part. And if he doesn't, I know that I did my part. So there were a few factors. Yeah. How do you feel today versus like in, I guess in your recovery versus the zoom days where you were kind of like not stable, you had said? Yeah, I, I, well, I think there's a few things. Um, I think the first treatment center that I went to was not as, um, was not as helpful for me as the second one. They were two different facilities. Um, so I don't, I don't think I got the help. And I also think there's something to be said for just completing the cycle of life that you need to complete. And I don't think my cycle was up. I think that I kind of had to go out and keep doing it to get the clear picture. Um, but I also just think my drive is different and the tools that were set up for me different, my spirituality, you know, different, Um, I just think that the pieces just seem like they're glued together this time, whereas they didn't really feel that way. And then COVID. Yeah. I mean, our whole world got turned upside down. Um, and in treatment, you know, they, they ask, well, do you have any reservations? You know, is there anything in this world that's going to take 
that you will drink over, whether it be a death in your family, whether it be a breakup, whether it be an illness, like, is there anything? And we'd always say, no, 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 you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sound. I'm, I'm, I got this. And then, but no one expected COVID. And so that was something we kind of didn't prepare for, but I don't think that that's the only reason. Hmm. Famous last words. I got this. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the treatment that you went through, mm -hmm. what was that like? What was the difference between what you had in Florida? And where was the first treatment center? At? Um, the first treatment center was Banyan, Banyan, and it was located in Stewart, Florida. Yeah. And um, I, I think it was a good facility, um, kind of like a funny tidbit. I was in treatment with Mama June from Honey Boo Boo. So that was kind of an interesting little... Wow, that's crazy. Side note. Yeah. Her and her boyfriend Gino were in treatment. And uh, also kind of a funny story that the day that they came in, I was kind of all hopped up on detox meds and was in the elevator. And I saw her get in the elevator and I was like, wow, these are some good drugs. I am hallucinating. Mama <laughs> June just got in the elevator with me. No, it turns out they were really there. Um, I just think that it wasn't as much of a robust program. Um, and I think that um, I, I didn't go to PHP. So I did... The so I didn't really do the step down like it's suggested. So I went in for detox and then I did the in the inpatient treatment. Um, and so I didn't do the step down. But again, you know, I, I, I can't I don't know that I was really ready either. Um, I, I still had some things that I had to figure out. Um, I kind of had to, you know, get a few more bumps and bruises and and just kind of figure out life a little more. And then and then, um, so the second one that I went to was Legacy, and I can't say enough great things about Legacy Healing, um, and that was in Margate, Florida. Um, a lot of treatment centers in Florida. Florida and California are kind of the hubs, um, and then when they're like, well, do you want to go to Florida in September? I was like, well, hell yeah, like, why wouldn't I? <laughs> so um, Legacy was great, and I did, I did the detox um, and then I did the inpatient. I did kind of a, I, I want to say like a quick go of it because you're usually kind of supposed to stay 30 days in each one, but I did have a work commitment um, that I had to be back for. I, I couldn't be on leave, so I had to be back for. And so, and, and kind of funny, um, I was sitting in the director's office and we were kind of talking about my, you know, next steps and release date and all of this. And I told him, I said, I just came for detox. I'm going home after seven days. And uh, he looked at me and kind of a very poignant statement. He said, will you just take a suggestion? He said, how, how, how has your, um, you deciding what to do, how, how has that turned out for you? And I was like, wow, you know, he hit the nail on the head with that. And I was like, all right, I'll take a suggestion. And he said, my suggestion is, you go to PHP, you stay for at least two to three weeks uh, before going home. And I said, okay. I said, I'll quit arguing with you I'll, and I'll go to PHP. And uh, so that kind of sent me to PHP. And, and I think I just set myself up for success. So PHP was partial hospitalization. So I went to this huge mansion with five other women. Um, and then I moved into the apartments where you had a little more freedom. So it's kind of like sober living. Um, and, and kind of stepping, giving you a little more freedom. We didn't get our phones um, in, in the house. I didn't get my phone back for like 28 days, 21 days, until I got to the apartments. And so it's kind of a step down. So 
highly recommend legacy, highly recommend going through, you know, an overall program, especially if someone really needs that detox and can't do that safely. Mm -hmm. Um, and then of course hitting AA, I mean, AA is kind of the, the, the true, um, success after that, um, you know, finding the higher power, um, legacy also is very AA heavy. Um, it's actually a Jewish facility, but very AA heavy. They don't push any, any sort of religion. Um, but they, you know, we, we had speakers come in, um, from AA NA, and they, they very much suggested that we continue on with AA when we left, when we left their program. So how often are you going to AA meetings? Six days a week. Six days a week. Nice. Six days a week. Um, yeah, I take Saturday off typically just because, I don't know, there's not really any meetings real close on Saturday evenings. Um, they do, I mean, the Sober Solution in Longmont is every night at five. Um, but I just kind of, I give myself one day to kind of take a break. But yeah, six days a week otherwise. 90 days in, what are your thoughts about the meetings that you're going to? Have you ever had a moment where you were like um, identifying out like, screw this? No, I mean, some meetings are better than others. Um, you know, some people in the rooms you're going to identify and relate to more than others. Mm -hmm. um, but overall, I think that the meetings, I, I, I get a nugget of information or something that I take with me at every meeting. Mm -hmm. um, so... I, you know, we have our favorite people, but I think that as a whole, AA and just the energy, um, I, I read, I think it was in the daily reflections. Was it last week or the week, uh, maybe last week? Um, it said the meetings are a way to recharge our batteries. And I was like, heck yes. <laughs> <laughs> I get my batteries recharged in the meetings. So yeah. Yeah. What's the best piece of advice that you have? I mean, you say that you've got a lot of nuggets. Uh -huh. What's one of your favorite sayings that you've heard in the rooms that really helped you go a long way? Um, well, other than Dennis from Legacy telling me, you know, can you take a suggestion? Yeah. I mean, that is huge because I think that that's going into a meeting and being open-minded and taking those suggestions or at least listening to what other people have to say Taking what you need, leaving the rest, it, I mean, that that's imperative. Um, the other one, and I, I think you know Vic from the Longmont meeting when yeah. he said, I, had a, I have a spiritual awakening every day. I woke up sober. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I can see him saying that, yeah. for sure. So I really like that, too, because I think that I really identify with that. I'm not waking up sick every day. I'm not waking up wishing that I just could stop this cycle. Um, and then I, the, the one last piece is someone in a meeting said that hope stands for hold on pain ends. And I really think that that's a true identifier of, of the word hope, having hope in something bigger than yourself, that the pain does end and, and you get another day to keep moving forward. Um, it is just huge. Anything else that you'd like to get off your chest? while well, you have the floor? <laughs> um, no, I mean, AA works. It, it definitely works. Um, you know, like we say in the room, it works if you work it, but I think it's important until you kind of believe in it to just give it a chance and go in and listen and see if you can identify with something that's said. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think that's it. 
Thank you, Heather, for sharing your experience, strength, and hope on the Recovery Edge podcast. And thank you, listeners, for checking us out. Remember, you can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and even Amazon Music. Share us with a friend, and thanks again. We'll see you next time.